Welcome to Grinding the Data. My name is Kevin Scott. I'm very excited to be jumping into the next of our expert series here with another great guest. Uh, just to give you a little intro, my goal with this series has been to create some podcasts that are sort of evergreen. You can go back and listen to them multiple times, glean from the wisdom and experience of these great players and analysts we're talking to. And, you know, we're focused on the 2021 season coming out of that and looking forward to 2022. But I'm trying to guide our discussions here toward giving, you know, giving us some general knowledge about fantasy football, helping all of us improve. And these experts are the perfect people to help us do that. We already talked to Abib Agbatoba and Heath Cummings, uh, the great guys. If you miss those episodes, you should definitely go check them out today. I welcome another great player, Theo Griminger. Welcome, Theo. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks for being here. I know Theo a little bit from the FFPC streets and from Twitter. It's been great getting to know you a little bit. I've uh, been very impressed with your skills as a player as we've played some Dynasty Leagues together and also just what you've talked about. I think you know know your way around the game for sure and strategy. But I just want to say, maybe our listeners don't know you. Um, if you could give them a little background about who you are, at least how you got into fantasy and how you got to this place of being an expert. Sure. You know, just like everybody else, I uh... I started out by playing home leagues and, and got more and more invested uh, into it, um, you know, putting more time and effort into it and getting prepared. And um, a couple of buddies of mine uh, told me about the NFFC. So I said, I can, I can go win that. Um, so I, I, I decided to dip my toes into high stakes and I got involved in the NFFC. Um, I'm in the New York area. I'm on Long Island. And I, I went out and did some live drafts and the New York city NFFC drafts are, are about as hard as it gets. Mm. Um, so I jumped into it. Um, the first year I did a little bit online and a little bit in person, the results were, were not great. Um, but then year two, um, I, I continued kind of getting better with it and I had some success. Um, and I just kind of continued with that and I've expanded, um, you know, my amount of teams, you know, entered, um, and the amount of teams I'm managing throughout the year. Um, and I, you know, continue to, you know, keep working at it. And I eventually found some success in it. Um, 2019, I finished second in the NFFC Silver Bullet. And I also finished first in the combined standings, which was their kind of combined uh, classic in the Rotowire Online Championship. Um, and then I decided to go into the FFPC as well. So I've been kind of managing teams in the FFPC and the NFFC. Uh, my first year in FFPC, again, it was another learning experience, but uh, this past year I've, I had some success and I've generally kind of added more and more dynasty aspect to my fantasy uh, portfolio. So I'm, you know, doing high volume and I'm, you know, in both, both formats uh, pretty, pretty regularly. And also I started doing content. Um, I write the waiver wire column for player profiler. Um, which is a, a great mental exercise for me um, to kind of, you know, really take a, a step back and, you know, look at the entire waiver wire picture. Um, so I've been, I've written some other articles with them, but that's pretty much my weekly focus um, in terms of content. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I love it. And um, I think that, you know, like you and like a lot of other high volume players, it's something that is almost an, an obsession um, in a healthy, in a healthy way. Um, it's something where you're kind of doing it all year long. I'm in, I'm in two best ball drafts right now. Um, and, uh, it's, and I, and I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a grind, but it's, uh, it's a tremendous experience and, and, uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's really neat to, to hear how you 
kind of uh, had some struggles at first, learning the system, learning how to win there, and then you had success. And I certainly have seen your success at, at FFPC. I have not even jumped into NFFC myself. Uh, it's, it's, I have so many other, like you said, Dynasty Leagues going on. I have to limit it. Uh, it's really cool that, uh, that that you have had success and that you're doing. I totally agree about the, the article, too. I mean, sometimes the article that I write every week is as much for me as it is for the people who read it, you know, to dive in and do that study. It's cool that you have that going on as well. Um, so what we're going to do here for the rest of our time is just kind of jump into some questions. Uh, as I've asked the other guys, I'll ask some of, you, some of the same questions of you and some other questions as well. And then we're going to finish out. Just make sure you stick around. We're going to finish out with a cool exercise where we kind of look at uh, who who we have ranked at the top of redraft uh, rankings right now. So let's jump in here. What do you think uh, as far as I know you do a ton of drafting and uh, all over the place, different types of drafts. And so you have to be super flexible in the way you draft. But when you look back at 2021, something I've asked the other guys too, what do you think draft strategy wise maybe was the most effective way to win if there is one for you? Like heavy, heavy running back, zero running back, any of those balance, any kind of, uh, uh, you know, construction. What do you think worked the best this year? So uh, I'll give a shout out to um, one of, I, I'm involved with a podcast called the Goat District. And one of my co-hosts is named Dan Williamson. And he actually crunched the data for this. I think when, when you look at FFPC and NFFC, um, you, you've really got to look at, at the money, the, the, the overall winners. And that really speaks to what strategy was most successful. So Dan um, broke it down. If we look at the FFPC main event, which is, one of the hardest competitions in, in fantasy football, hands down. Um, the winning team was a, a hero RB team um, mm-hmm. or a modified zero or a simply punt RB2 team, um, however right. you want to call it. Um, he basically had about as good a team as you could get. It was a group of guys who actually drafted together, um, and they, they took Jonathan Taylor um, as their anchor RB. Um, and then just basically going down the, the list of, of the teams in the top 10, it was a hero RB there was a robust RB, then it was hero RB, hero RB. Um, and then there was a few teams in a row that had a two running back start, and then they kind of pivoted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was two more hero RBs in the top 10. Wow. Um, so if you look at the foot, so that's, so that's basically hero RB or two running back start did great. Then if you look at the football guys competition, which I know that we, we've competed against each other in a couple drafts there, um, and you previously had a B-Bag Matoba on. He won it twice. It's it's the same format as the main event, except there's a, a lot more teams. Um, mm-hmm. and, a, and a Hero RB team won that as well. Um, and then if you look at the top 10, there was two more Hero RBs and then a few more balanced approach teams where one team had two tight ends in, in the first seven rounds. But basically my takeaway is the, the strategy that did not work this past year was Zero RB. Hmm, only 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 three out of the top 20 teams in the main event were zero RB teams um, and four out of the top 20, uh, excuse me, that was in, in the football guys. It was three out of the top 20 were zero RB teams and there was four, four out of the top 20 if you included this one four wide receiver start followed up by running back, running back, which is not your, you know, your classic Typical. zero. Mm-hmm. And then if you go to the to the main event, it was even worse. It was two out of the top 20 were zero wow. RB teams. So interesting. We, we saw, and it was a pretty in, hot, it was a pretty hot way to a draft too. So. Absolutely. I mean, you were in drafts and I was in, was in drafts in August and September where you'd see true zero RB teams pretty much every single draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so that strategy did not cash this year. 
Um, I'm sure that there's um, some arguments for why it didn't. And I'm sure that there's, you know, this could have gone this way. This could have gone that way. But basically, I think that the two the two ways to draft this past year were anchor RB or running back, running back. And the proof is basically, you know, in the pudding here. Uh, yeah. And then if you take it over the NFFC, there was not a, a zero RB team that, that took down any of the major events there either. So um, I didn't – Dan, Dan uh, did a great job with this. We didn't crunch the numbers in the NFC FC quite as well, but um, it's, it's here RB or it's – running back, running back. Those were the two strategies this year, the cash. Yeah. And it's interesting as far, you know, I have a very small sample size of my own teams, but I'd say the one, my teams that did the best, uh, you know, finish in the top hundred or whatever of uh, the football guys were robust RB. I had three, uh, three running back start, but it just happened that certain guys fell to me when they shouldn't have. It was an early draft, that kind of thing. I do. I did not have any zero RB teams myself, same kind of thing that, that were, dominant and it's kind of confusing if you think about it but i guess maybe those those players and the, the rec- receiver ranks that really could have catapulted you didn't pan out right those early receivers it was more like the mid-round receivers like we talked about with the other guys yeah no absolutely um yeah. and i think that a lot just the a running back running back start or like you said a, a three running back start you know maybe opened you up to getting a, a cooper Cup right. or a debo exactly. samuel one of the the league winners and it also opened you up to Mark Andrews potentially in FFPC, right. who was a, a big winning ticket. So it's um, right. Every year so it's because, different. But. Right. And that's what I was going to say, because that like you, what you just said, I think is 100 percent true that that's why it worked is because you could get, um, you know, exposure to those league winners. So do you think that has any bearing on this coming season then how we should draft? I think that I think that. Yes, it does. I think that there's there's um, two ways to look at it. I think that the zero RB will continue to be something that people are going to attempt. Um, so I think that that opens you up to, you know, potentially getting a, a stronger running back to start out. Um, and I think that there's also less high volume two way running backs in the league. A lot of a lot of teams have gone to a committee approach. Maybe they're using two running backs. Um, so I think that the best structural approach is most likely going to be a, a hero RB or a running back, running back start. Like a balanced, um, in other words. Yeah. But you still I, think I, you should t- hammer the receivers then, even if you start running back, running back? Yeah. And I don't think you even need to necessarily start with a running back in the first round. But I do think that it's hard to, to not draft one in the first two rounds. Yeah. Like Joe Mixon this year was a, what, had a high win rate. Um, and he was going in the second round quite often. So mm-hmm. I think some of the teams might have started out like I had a, I had a Kelsey Mixon team that, that did very well this year. Um, and I think that there's there was different ways to to kind of build it. Um, if, if the the I'd say the at the turn, you know, you saw some Jonathan Taylors and some some Najee Harris's going right around the turn. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that it's important to 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 get one running back. Um, to start out, but I think two is two is a viable strategy as well. Right. Um, and I think that it's it's kind of I'm not sure the community is going to necessarily move to move away from zero RB, even though the kind of FFPC we we kind of see it, um, just because it is a very popular strategy. But you know the we, the money talks here, and I think yeah. that those that's the way to do it. And I think most likely it's going to be the, that way this year. Again, we don't we don't know how ADP is going to pan out. There's some very, very appealing wide receivers in the first round. 
tight ends a little interesting this year. So um, I, if I was drafting today for next season, I would probably start again with the modified zero RB or the running back, running back start. Interesting. And we'll get to that first round look later and we can, we can chat about that more. Um, as for uh, roster construction, I know, you know, part, a big part of drafting, one of the more fun parts of drafting is, you know, trying to build the team as you go and make doing it in a unique way and kind of different every time. And, but still in the end, ending up with a, a solid and deep roster. Are there any for our listeners who are, you know, just, you know, maybe not as, not as busy drafting as you or, or I would be, are there any big like overarching tips you could share uh, about how you go about building your rosters in the draft, like rules you try to follow um, to make sure you end up with a great team every time? So I, I think if you talk to, um, you know, some successful players, handcuffing becomes something where it's, it's a little bit polarizing. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might say that it's, it's taking away a, a, a you know, a, an analogy would be like a bullet and a gun. You're using two running backs from the same team. Um, some people will say, you know, it's the, it's the proper strategy. For me, I think that if you're going to handcuff, um, I have a 10-round rule where if I'm going to draft a guy, I, I don't want to invest any draft capital into his backup until 10 rounds later. I think that's a, that's a good enough gap where it's not going to cause you to, to, you know, miss out or cause you to reach just to, to get a handcuff. So that's one thing I like to follow. Um, I also like to, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about ranks and, and how you, how you develop your strategy, but I like to use tiers and I, I, I try to recommend that, that a lot of players try to embrace using tiers in their rankings. Um, I think tiers are good for, for when you're building a team because it, it kind of allows you to know when you need to hop in a positional run. So mm-hmm. I think even if, even if you want to take, you know, let's say you want to use Dwayne McFarlane's uh, rankings or Sigmund Bloom's rankings, you can kind of go through with a, with a pen and kind of, you know, write where you think that the, the gap is between like, let's say wide receiver five, and maybe there's a drop in, in your opinion, wide receiver six, just have mm-hmm. something where you know when to jump in. Um, and then I think one more thing um, for structure would be don't force stacks. Um, I like to have correlation, uh, meaning like a quarterback with one of his receivers. I think that's a, that's a great strategy, especially in, um, you know, tournament plays like we play in. Um, and even in 12-man leagues, I think that that can help you out to have a little correlation. But I think that when you see people forcing stacks, um, I think that's, that's kind of a mistake that you see, see players making. Um, even at even at the highest levels, um, when it works, it works. But oftentimes, it it really kills your entire draft strategy. Right. Yeah. And if you're jumping up a round or two early to get a guy, you know, just to have a stack, and you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot, right? No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Those are good. Yeah. Th- thanks for those. I, I I love. I totally agree with the tier. Uh, I've been drafting with tiers for many years, and um, I you know I don't know how you would draft without it. You know, because it's so hard to tell. Uh, value wise, what you're looking at, if you're, you know, if you're not following any sort of like a, this guy, I need a guy from this group. You're just kind of like, Oh, I guess I'll go receiver. Yeah. It's, it's very helpful as far as building a, a roster. I agree. Yeah. And I think even if you look at the way that scoring breaks down for positions, you kind of see why we have tiers where, you know, you'll see like wide receiver one finished this far ahead of wide receiver two. Right. And then maybe wide receiver two through seven were very similar. Yep. Um, so it kind of, it makes sense if you look at it with the scoring, but I think a lot of yep. people will just get into drafts and look at ranks. And I think that kills a lot of players chances. Yep. That's good. 
Uh, how about like, uh, as you think about, I know you, you've kind of said, so for your drafts next season, you're going to be thinking, uh, at least going in, I know you have to roll with the punches in every draft, but you're kind of thinking modified uh, zero RB or, um, you know, heavy, heavy RB to start what kind of one of those things. But as you look at prior prioritizing various positions, you know, like I want to, I want to target a quarterback in this kind of range or a tight end in this kind of range or backs and receivers. Right, do you have a way you're thinking about that already? Or is it too early to, to, to consider that? Yeah. So I've always kind of gravitate gravitated towards like the punting, punting RB two. I was just, you know, calling it before it had a name. Um, and I think that that kind of opens you up to, it opens you up in the FFPC um, to getting involved with one of the top tight ends. It also, you know, allows you to draft those, those high end wide receivers with a, with a running back as well. Um, I think that the, the position that seems most interesting to me right now um, is the tight end position. I think it's a little bit in flux. Um, Mark Andrews is in his prime. He's 27 years old, but I haven't, I don't necessarily think we've seen the, market correct itself like he finished tight end one mm -hmm. um you also have kelsey kittle and darren waller are all gonna go lower than they did last year in drafts um and then you'll see kyle pitts he's kind of a a little polarizing right now um i think mm -hmm. we all love the talent but uh, i think last year maybe he was a little overdrafted um i think the falcons offense has a lot of question marks so i think that elite tight ends might be more affordable and I'm kind of, I think it's an, an enticing thing to think of maybe getting Travis Kelsey in the back end of the first round instead of having to use that like top three pick. Um, and then again, we talked about it again uh, earlier that running backs are kind of hard to resist um, as enticing as those great wide receivers are. Um, it's just, there's so many backfields with question marks and mm -hmm. those high those high volume two way running backs are just something that I think you really need to prioritize because I think when we get down to the end of August and you look at the backfields, you're already going to take about ten of them off the table um, that will not have that clear cut RB one. It's going right. to be more of like a sixty forty, and and those kind of backfields can really get you in trouble. Um, so I think that to me, it's I know I'm going to get some great wide receivers this year just based on the way I draft. So I want to make sure I nail the tight end position and make sure I get a running back, you know, with, with receiving ability, hopefully, um, that is going to handle a high volume of touches and I'll most likely build my team around him. Now with tight ends, I mean, if you let's, let's say that you, uh, you have three or four guys you like, like you mentioned, and you say, I want to get one of these guys, you know, by the third round, but they all happen to go. I mean, I, I feel like there, you know, would you be willing to wait till the eighth, ninth, 10th round on one? I mean, there's guys like Kosicki and, you know, middle, middle tier. Um, would you feel comfortable with those? Or would you feel like I gotta, I gotta grab one of those top ones? I, I mean, I think that this past year was, um, might get people in trouble because this year we saw Dalton Schultz and we saw Dawson mm -hmm. Knox um, and they were, you know, so helpful to people off the waiver wire. Um, and I think Rob Gronkowski was also seriously mispriced. Um, right. You know, he was going way lower than he should have. So I think that for me, I'd, I'd like to get a tight end that I'm comfortable with. Um, I think that you, you can punt tight end, but in the FFPC, um, you know, you better do some things correctly if you're going to punt head end. Like, you know, you bring up a guy like Mike Jacecki. Right now, he's going to be a free agent. We're not quite sure his situation. Um, you know, you you look at him, you look at a guy like Noah Fant, which is, 
probably close to him in ADP um, that has a, you know, kind of a murky quarterback situation. And we don't know, you know, what, what the offense is going to look like. So there's so many question marks. So many middle tier guys like that. I mean, Higby, there's so many guys like that, that are, they could be great. And they could give yeah, you five absolutely. points, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like Irv Smith, you know, he, yeah. Irv Smith, I love the talent, but Tyler Conklin, I don't think is going to disappear. So there's so many guys. I mean, when, when you get to like, when you get to like to like tight end eight, um, you start having question marks. I think if you, I think a general rule of tight end is if you don't get one of the top tier guys, you might as well just wait. Yeah. Um, if you want to plant your flag on, if there's a guy that you think that you're very bullish on, um, you know, like a Giuseppe, you know, go ahead and, and take them. But if you're, if you don't have conviction, don't take a guy just to get in like the top 12, because at right. the end of the day, at the end of the day, like tight end nine through tight end 17 might be similar. And then, and you, you might get a guy off the waiver. Right. Yeah. Every year, every year there's been a, a waiver wire tight end that's, that's helped yeah. out. So it's interesting. I guess my only other question with that uh, question would be related to quarterback. Um, I mean, do you have, do you have any sort of, uh, preference on waiting on quarterback or trying to grab one of those top five or six guys? So I, I mean, everything being equal, um, I'd love to get one of the top quarterbacks, but I think it's very draft specific. Mm-hmm. Um, the NFFC is a six point passing touchdown oh. format. So quarterbacks are prioritized a bit more, but in the FFPC, um, my best main event team this year um, that I split with Andrew Schellenberg um, we took Josh Allen because nobody was taking him and he was mm-hmm. the best value. Um, I've, I've had drafts where I've taken quarterback first and I've had drafts where I've waited and, and taken the quarterback a little later. Um, the team that won the main event this year got Joe Burrow off the waiver wire. Somebody cut Tough. him earlier and they took and they, they won a, a, you know, a half a million dollars off of the Joe yeah. Burrow, Jamar Chase stack. So I think there's, Quarterback, I feel like, is is the position where you have to have a great feel for, for how draft. your draft is going. Yep. Um, and you know, sometimes you do, you'll go into a draft and, and somebody will. It's almost like once the tiers are 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 there, you'll see. And I'm assuming Josh Allen is QB one this year. If not, it's going to be Mahomes. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you see, usually in these drafts, you'll see. Mahomes get taken and then a couple picks later Josh Allen gets taken and then however the next tier is those guys will get taken um you know so it's you gotta kind of feel your draft if right. you get to like I the agree. fifth yeah so it's it's specific to the draft I yeah, don't really have a rule good. with QB that's cool um how do you go about ranking like when you make your rankings just curious I mean do you do full projections and then rank off of that is do you do it more by feel and, and you know just getting in drafts and then ranking from there or how do you do it so I like to have um, – I like to do a lot of best ball drafts. Um, so not necessarily even, you know, I'll do a lot of smaller stakes best ball drafts. I'll do, you know, a lot of $35 ones. And then the, some of the $77 ones where those are the – maybe we'll get a good group of, of drafters together and we'll do a, a best ball. Um, so I, tr- I try to draft a number of best ball teams uh, kind of in like the, the dead time where it's really only like – uh, degenerate grinders drafting <laughs> like right like right now right um so then when we get to the football guys uh drafts um i feel like i'm a little more prepared um where it's not it's not really like my first draft um and also like yourself uh i play dynasty in ffpc so mm-hmm. like for us we have our rookie drafts so we're kind right. of like looking at the, the landscape early um 
And then when it just comes down to my own ranking, um, I like to look at points per game from the previous year. I think that that's an underutilized thing. Um, you know, football, you have durability. You have how many games the guy played. Um, you know, you have to take a step back and look at it. You know, if a, a guy might play six games and have a high point per game, it's not necessarily a great sample right. size. Uh, but I think points per game is, is, a, is, a, is an underutilized tool. So when I'm kind of doing my rankings, I'll write down the points per game um, and I'll kind of go from there. Um, and I like to see, you know, kind of how a player was it was average for his average games. And then I kind of like to look at win rates a little bit um, for FFPC. Like, if, you know, if you're subscribed to Fantasy Mojo, you can see the win rates. Um, but I think that the general as a general strategy is when you're doing your own rankings, you don't want to have too many sources. You want to kind of ha- narrow it down to a few, maybe a few um sources you you trust for for their own personal rankings and Mm -hmm. then maybe a few data sources like if you're a pff guy or you know wherever you want to find your data from and you want to kind of crunch those things so that's basically the way i'll do it and then when it gets a little closer to maybe july uh, and i've had a couple of june drafts under my belt i try to take the tiers that i do for each position and I try to develop something I like to call floating tiers, where it's it's a fairly simple concept where it'll be I basically combine the tiers to know where if I'm in oh. the first round, this is where I wanna this is the guys I'm looking at, the second round, and I kind of across you know, positions you mean. Cross position tiers, um, mm-hmm. and usually like on a some sort of a spreadsheet. So when it comes down to a draft, I'm I'm looking at I have usually something where I have my rankings, um, and then I have this you know, across cross sectional, like a floating tiers rankings. And I'll kind of try to stay with that. Um, and then I'll try to adjust, you know, as it goes along. And I, I also think that when you, when you play in these high stakes uh, formats, you know, like the football guys and you've been in a couple drafts with maybe a player you respect and you see him taking a guy that you have, maybe don't have exposure to. I'm, I'm open to, expanding my horizons and saying, mm-hmm. why, why am I not drafting this guy? Right. But, you know, Abib or Kevin has been drafting him twice in drafts I'm in, and I have to take mm-hmm. a step back and kind of look at that. So that kind of works for when you're a high-volume player. But if you're not a high-volume player in the FFPC and you subscribe to Fantasy Mojo, you can look at draft boards and kind of see which way they're going. So right. um, I'm, I'm trying to look at ADP a lot. Not as something that I have to follow, but I want to kind of see where I need to reach to get my guys. And um, yeah, I think that rankings is something where you just don't want to have take lock. If you if you mm-hmm. draft from the beginning of the summer to the end of the summer, I think you want to be able to kind of adjust your ranks. And then, of course, we have the preseason games where it's not giving us a, a ton, but I think that um, you'll see guys falling for for terrible reasons and you'll see guys um that maybe have a bigger role that the that the community is not necessarily um adjusting as well right yeah that's that's all good stuff man thanks um i guess uh, you you hit on a point where there where you you said something like you know you want to make sure you get your guy uh where you need to jump up and take him you use adp as a kind of a guide and you know so that you know when you have to grab your guy and that takes me to that next question i have which is how do you keep from drafting the same team? You know, basically like you have, let's say you love Jalen Waddle and you see that his ADPs in the third and you say, I'm going to take him early third or late second, whenever I can get the option. 
and then you end up in you know August with him on 30 of your 40 teams. Maybe you're okay with that. I don't know. That's a question. Are you okay with that, or do you try to do some stuff to keep that from happening? So I think that I'm not, I'm not afraid of I'm not afraid of of having a ton of a guy, um, especially in early drafts where I think the ADP might correct itself. I got in a little bit of trouble this year with Antonio Gibson, where I got way too heavy on Gibson. Um, mm-hmm. And I probably should have scaled it back, but he was going in the late second. It was hard for me to pass him up. Um, and I did not necessarily foresee the JD McKissick usage early. Um, so I think I need to get better on, on tracking my percentages, but I do think something that's interesting is um, we've had Chad Schrader on the Go district pod a couple times now. And I think he's probably the, the most successful uh, fantasy player, you know, in in the world right now um and he doesn't care at all about percentages he Hmm. just wants to draft the best possible team um the one thing that he doesn't do that we do is he doesn't usually jump in drafts in june he waits and kind of sits back so the adp is a little more settled um i i should care about it more um i do think that um i i want to be a little bit diverse in the first three rounds But then if I look at rounds like eight through 10, if there's a guy that I have extremely strong conviction on, um, I don't mind having, you know, 50% on on that guy. Uh, I don't think that you're going to lose your your draft based on what you do in those rounds. And certainly if there's a guy you think is great um, late, um, you know, by all means, keep taking him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if he gets hurt in week two, it's going to hurt. If you took him in the ninth round, but it's not, like you said, going to be the end of your team, most likely. I mean, if it is, then you probably didn't build a very solid roster. Yeah, those, um, hit, yeah, those, I, hit, those hit rates, um, you know, they go down and down when you right. get lower and lower. So it's, you know, if, if we went back and we looked at last year's eighth, eighth round, ninth round, and tenth round, I mean, I think we'd probably be laughing at a couple of right. picks. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think the hardest part for me historically has been those mid round picks a little earlier, like fifth, sixth round where, you know, maybe it's a a back that I think is going to break out, you know, like a Michael Carter or somebody like that, or, you know, a second year player that I think this guy, I love him. I love him above ADP and he's going in the seventh or eighth. I'm just going to take him in the sixth every time. And then he gets injured, it burns you. Right. So that's where the percentages uh, have hurt me. But yeah, that's really good thoughts. Once it gets late enough, just don't worry about it. I like it. Uh, what would you say overall, you look back at this season, I don't know exactly how successful you said you had a good year, but um, what would you say like the main, the most important lesson you learned or one thing you're going to try to hold on to and remember for future seasons that might, you know, help our listeners out to hear? I mean, I think that this was, a, this is a great question. Um, and I thought long and hard about it. And I think it's Debo Samuel, um, Debo Samuel, <laughs> like, you know, Cooper, Cooper cup is, it sounds very simple. I mean, Cooper Cup is was the fantasy MVP. Jonathan Taylor mm-hmm. was the running back to draft, but Debo Samuel was a, a cheat code. If you look at the teams that won, they all had Debo Samuel. Debo yeah. Samuel, you know, we were drafting. If you drafted early enough, you could have gotten Debo in the eighth, you know, ninth yeah. round. Um, my best main event team had Debo Samuel, um, and it's. I think that one rule is that if a player is broken out early in his career and he has the same coaching staff, we should be more bullish on him. I think mm-hmm. that Debo, I think people made mistakes. Um, you know, obviously, Brandon Ayuk had more juice early in the summer than Debo. 
Um, there were some people who still had Debo ahead of Ayuk, but I would say that the majority of, you know, players you'd respected were, were taking Ayuk. Um, and I think that we need to take a step back and look at these wide receiver pairings um, and try to do a better job of, of nailing it. Um, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods was a tough one. Mm-hmm. But Jamar, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, the, the market kind of overcorrected itself um, where Jamar Chase was going ahead of him in early drafts. Then he dropped the ball a couple times in, in, in preseason, and all of a sudden T's going ahead of him. I think that with Debo, um, we should have seen it coming a little bit more. And I think that's one thing this offseason where I want to look back. Um, and I think also we used to always talk about the third-year breakout. And the third-year breakout for wide receivers, people have just stopped with that narrative because we've been so spoiled by wide receivers yeah. coming in and doing their thing right away. Right. But I think the third-year breakout is a real thing. So, like, the community might be down on, you know, Chase Claypool right now. But I think if you look at what Chase Claypool did as a rookie, took a step back in his second year, had some attitude concerns and things that have nothing to do with fantasy football, but that makes the community sour on him. He's the the kind of guy that I would be looking at. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the other other biggest takeaways, um, the first one is, is very simple and it sounds almost stupid, is we need to look at tight ends in, in good offenses. And I think that mm-hmm. they're slipping under the cracks. Back-to-back years, we saw two seasons ago, we saw Robert Tunyon get his opportunity in Green Bay and finished in the top five tight ends in PPR. Um, mm-hmm. He's a touchdown machine. And then this past season, um, you know, Dawson Knox went undrafted in almost right. all these leagues in, in tight end premium, and he was such, a, such an asset. Um, and we Dalton should have seen Schultz that too. coming. And Dalton Schultz was an interesting one because Dalton Schultz played pretty well um, two seasons ago. He was okay. Um, but we all thought yeah. he was going to disappear because of Blake Jarwin. I think that right. that was the, the wrong approach. The Cowboys staff never came out and said Jarwin's our guy. It was the right. fantasy community liking the athletic bigger tight end in Jarwin. Um, and Schultz, Schultz should have been drafted. It should have, right. You should have seen both those guys get drafted. So I think that's one thing that, that um, if a tight end looks like he's going to have an opportunity in a, in a top 10 offense, it's somebody who you should consider drafting in the last couple of rounds. Um, even if he's a guy that most people are not drafting, it's the, like the, the hit rates on 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th round guys are, right. are minuscule. So right. I think that embracing those, those tight ends that might have a role, you'll know pretty quickly – um, that's one thing that I think that everybody should improve on with a tight end position. And then the the last takeaway is the rookie wide receivers. Um, we talked about it a little bit um, already, but we've now seen in 20 we, – we saw this past season Jamar Chase win leagues. He averaged 18.8 points a game. Jalen Waddle was an absolute steal at ADP. He was 15.5 points per game. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown – was 13.5 points per game. And, and he, was, he wasn't a guy you were, you were starting or using. So if you look at him based on his splits, he had a wide receiver two week overall, wide receiver six, wide receiver six, wide receiver six. Me absolutely crushed it at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Devonta Smith was kind of a purgatory player, um, he, but he didn't burn you if you took him. Right. Um, Elijah Moore was kind of like Amon Ross St. Brown he was a steal at ADP. If you, you weren't, so people like to look at his, this is why overall stats kind of are, are, are something that get 
that something we shouldn't look at. Elijah Moore, you weren't playing him. You just had right. to keep him on your bench. And once he kind of started getting the usage you wanted to see, he had a wide receiver one overall week, a wide receiver three overall week, and a wide receiver eight overall week. And I believe he would have continued that. I agree. Um, but then he got hurt. Um, right. So we saw we saw rookie wide receivers hit. If you look at last season, Jefferson was a top six wide receiver. C.D. Lamb was getting drafted ahead of a lot of a lot of wide receivers in their rookie class, but he was uh, kind of like a he met expectations. I, I should say based on his mm-hmm. August ABP. Claypool was a steal. Higgins was a steal. Ayuk was a steal. And then you go the year before, D.K. Metcalf, Debo Samuel, um, A.J. Brown, all were huge steals at ADP. And then Terry McLaurin was maybe the waiver wire pickup of the year if you if you picked him up. Darius Slayton was a huge hit. So I think that for whatever reason, the community doesn't draft rookie wide receivers as often as they should. Rookie wide receivers, mm-hmm. I think, are the most mispriced asset in fantasy football. Um, and I think that I'm going to continue to dive into rookie wide receivers. I know we talked a little bit before the show about how this class doesn't have kind of as much juice as the last two, but you're seeing wide receivers come into the league. Teams are investing draft capital in them and they are producing right away. Um, Sometimes it takes a little while for you to start them, but once they, they hit, um, I don't think, I don't think this trend is, is going anywhere. I think that wide receivers are coming in the league young I think they're producing young and it's something that we should look at in redraft. Yeah. And I think uh, you just made me think of one of the reasons I think that receivers are producing more quickly now is because of the ways the offense uh, of the NFL has changed. It's become more like the college game. You got so many of these, you know, uh, read option kind of things, but also the passing, they've simplified it a lot, you know, quick, quick, easier routes. And these guys get up to speed fast. You know, it's like they're already running the same routes. They're not learning an entirely new playbook and way to play. So I, I don't know. I it definitely used to be that you know, you'd you'd want all the backs that were rookies, you know, and not the receivers. But it really has changed. I agree. And as for your first point, I was going to mention like, you know, I was definitely not on the on the Debo train either. And for me, it was like, yeah, he was awesome as a rookie, but uh, he really fizzled the next year. And and I know like you're saying that happens, but it was so many injuries too, both years, and it just felt like. Not only that, like, yeah, he could have come back, but then Ayuk looks stinking awesome as a rookie. And I just thought he's he's got to be their number one. Like, he, he he was awesome. Why would they not make him their number one? And then I was so ticked off at Shanahan not making, you know, changing gears there. But, yeah, you're I mean, you're probably right. But what, what do you think we could have actually seen? I mean, judging that we saw Ayuk look so good, they would tell us that, you know, Debo was going to come back. I think that that's a, that's a tough one. I think that that's one thing that I'm, I'm trying to work on right now um, in the offseason. I've, I've spoken to a few players just on how to interpret these, these wide receiver pairings where there's it seems to me that there's always one that finishes way ahead of the other. Um, and sometimes when you have them going close to one another, um, I've got to have a better process on that. And yeah, like you, I, I took Ayuk on a few teams as well. Um, and those teams certainly didn't do as well as my Debo teams. Um, and maybe just exposure that, to each. Is that what you're thinking? Like when they're closely ranked? Yeah, I think exposure to each is a good way of of um, of looking at it. And I think that you definitely don't want to, if there's kind of an ambiguous wide receiver pairings, you definitely don't want to go extremely heavy on one guy. Now, right. uh, you know, if, it, if you would have gone extremely heavy on, on Cup over Woods, then, right. you know, that's that's a – 
But I think generally, generally, if you're kind of up in the air on a situation you think will be, you know, producing fantasy points, you might want to have some exposure to both. Um, but in terms of Debo, I think that look at how he was utilized as a rookie. Um, and, and he was a focal point of that offense. They right. used him in different ways. And I think that Shanahan liked him. He showed it. Um, and I think that Ayuk also had some games where a lot of his production came when Kittle wasn't there and when Debo wasn't there. Now, he did have some production when they were both there as well, but a lot of it was production kind of on his own. Um, yeah. Where Debo, you know, Debo had the high draft, had high draft capital as well. Um, but I think that we got a little too bullish on Ayuk and we weren't bullish enough on Debo. Yeah, you're right. And, and there were there were grumblings, I remember, in the summer with Ayuk being demoted and stuff and not being in the starting lineup. And you got to pay attention to that stuff, too. But um, it, it's also depending on the coaching, right? Like sometimes the coaches just love guys and they give them all the touches. I mean, you saw the same thing with Elijah Mitchell. He just loves them and he loves Debo. And that's the way Shanahan coaches. If you're his favorite, you get yeah. the looks. So, yeah, it's it's also understanding the coach's tendencies and being being willing to kind of either hedge your bet because of that, you know, like who's he going to like this week? I got to have both guys kind of thing. Uh, and Brandon Ayuk is Brandon Ayuk might end up becoming a value this year sure. as a third, a third year wide receiver. So it's, uh, it's definitely something where you got to take a, take a big step back and kind of look at these things. Um, but gosh, it, it was Debo for me. Debo is just that, you know, it was man. He, he 20 points a game out of the, out of the eighth round is just for a wide receiver is just unbelievable. You know, you just simplified it for me because you know I had I had a, a tough year this year in comparison with past years, and I had almost no Debo. So I yeah. think I know. I think I'm understanding why, why I got there. That's great. Uh, so l- last question for you, and then we'll do our little exercise to close. Uh, I guess if if players are listening and they're maybe new or you know in, in, you know not new, but they're still working toward becoming uh, either a high volume or a high you know high stakes player and they want to learn like one thing that can really help their game. And I asked the same thing about Beeb and Heath. What would you say is the most important thing they should really work on to, to get them set apart from the crowd? That's it's, it's a great question. Um, and I, I kind of looked at this with, um, with kind of entering into the high stakes, high stakes uh, football. And I think that if you're, if you want to join the NFFC or the FFPC, even if you've had a ton of success in your home leagues, uh, I think that you should do the 350s before you do the 1500s. The structure is the structure is the same. You're still competing against some fantastic players, but it's it's less of a financial commitment. Um, but it will get you in the in the routine of of how to how to manage these leagues, um, how to how to get into the the waivers, how there's two separate waiver wire runs, um, basically how to manage a 20 man roster. A lot of people coming from home leagues to the FFPC or the NFFC might have a 15-person roster. Um, then you go into a 20-person roster. It's just it's just different. Um, when you get to the FFPC, you're dealing with a tight end premium. Some players have never played tight end premium. So I think it, it might sound simplistic, but I think that you want to dive into the 350s before you dive into necessarily the main event. It's one thing that I wish I would have done in the NFFC. Um, you kind of learn your lesson um, kind of with your with your wallet in the first year. Right. Um, but I think that that's that's one thing where um, players really need to take a step back and, and look at am am I ready for just basically a, a new experience? Because home leagues are one thing, but 
drafting in in the NFFC or the FFPC is, is a completely different ball game. So I think you'd you'd almost be better off trying to manage, you know, four three fifties than kind of one fifteen hundred where you only have one chip in, in there. You're still competing for a lot of money, um, but it's it's a little less risk, and you can kind of spread your resources. And I think that one thing that um, players really need to 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 do if they're going to jump into the the high stakes is you have to grind waivers. I don't know a single um, successful player and I've, I'm friends with a lot of them and I've spoken to a lot of them on podcasts, um, you know, from Chad Schrader to, to Nelson Sousa to a Agbatoba. I don't know a single great player that doesn't grind waivers. You know, not everybody has a perfect draft, but I think you see that the players who, who turn a profit every single year are the ones that are really, really hitting the waiver wire. Um, and I think one underutilized thing, and you see this in, in, in the dynasty streets as, as well as um, you know the football guys and, and mains, um, that second waiver wire run can be mm-hmm. a very fruitful one where you might get guys for a dollar, a guy for $2, but he ends up being a guy that sticks and helps you. Um, so I think that being willing to grind waivers, um, you know, every single week is something you've got to, you've got to do. Um, there's no rolling list, like in some home leagues, this is, this is fab. Um, and this is competing against, you know, when the season starts, all, all 12, 12 um, owners are competing on the on waiver wire. And it generally stays, you know, nine or 10 guys being active throughout the year. Um, and I think one more thing that players, um, you know, entering into, you know, contests like the FFPC, um, you, you can't be a slave to ADP. You've got to be willing to, to draft guys. Um, you, you're, you're basically really holding yourself in a disadvantage if you're just going to take a guy based on, on, on ADP. Uh, be willing to reach to get your guys and be willing to look at and try to identify guys that you want to avoid who you think might, might not be worth it where they're being drafted. Um, and, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, Those are great. It's, it's, it's competitive, but it's, it's, a, it's great once you, once you get involved in it and uh, once you get in the mix, it's, it's an awesome format to plan. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. I guess I would say as far as your first point, I think that's really important is not getting it over your head financially. And it's sort of similar to poker. You know, if you want to play and, in, in, you know, go to the casino and play, they talk about bank rolls, right? And you got to have enough behind. You don't want to play with everything you got. So if you if you can save up a couple thousand dollars to play, you know, fantasy football, maybe you spend, maybe you do two, three 350 leagues as your high stakes and then you do, you know, a bunch of lower stakes and try to build up your bankroll that are maybe easier, whether it's home leagues or, you know, I could give, if if anyone wants to know some easier sites to play on, I can give you some tips, but for sure, you know, just try to build up that bankroll. Cause this is, yeah, it's a ton of fun to play against the best and play in these big contests, but it's not where it's the easiest to make money. That's for sure. It's hard. And I, and I think that also, you you brought up some other contests. I think that one other thing that people should do is if you're going to even do the three fifties, you want to try to get in some best balls beforehand. You learn the, the lay of the land in terms of how you're drafting on this site, and you just get used to drafting. Um, you know, there's, I think underdog's a good format for this. You can do, you know, $5 slim best ball drafts, but you're, the more you draft, the more comfortable you are with drafting, mm-hmm. the better you're right. going to be in the drafts. And I think that that's kind of, it sounds very simplistic, but if your first draft, is against a bunch of very good players for three hundred fifty dollars. It's probably not the way to do it. You want to be right. a little bit, a little bit warmed up. Right, I agree. 
cool. Those are all great thoughts, man. Thanks for sharing. We're going to uh, go ahead and close here with basically what we're doing is uh, talking through our top 12. And each of us, have we have not talked to each other about what our top 12 is. Uh, we're just going to go one through 12 and like one at a time and we'll compare uh, how we landed and we'll discuss why. So who, who would be your first pick if you got the first pick in a redraft league? Jonathan Taylor no, is a no brainer for me if I have the 101 right now. Um, he's he's a stud, he averaged 22 and a half points per game. Um, I think the offense could get better. Um, and he's he's just as locked in as a 101 as, as you could be right now for me. Yeah, he's also very young. He was my 101 as well. So that's, I mean, I think. I think there's arguments to be made. I always look back at previous years. So whenever, you know, every, every year the ADP obviously changes and who the, the hop, the hot top three picks are. And I kind of try to look back at the previous years and say, why is this guy not there? You know, so last year, obviously it was Christian McCaffrey for the last couple of years. You had Dalvin cook up there this year at two. And I, I guess, I mean, I could see the argument for McCaffrey to still be at the top. Um, he's still got the skill set of, you know, receiving like crazy that, you know, probably could, has a higher upside for catching passes than Taylor. Um, but as far as, you know, you got the injury stuff, you got the youth, right? I mean, is that what pushed him down for you? Yeah. Um, no, the for age sure. and the injury. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, we, we look at, um, we look at the ages of backs, I, you know, you want to, those backs that are like 25 are just a little safer. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even have him at two. So he's pushed down yeah. a little bit. No, I, yeah, me either. It's just it's one of those things where it's like I don't I don't think his skill sets change, but when you get the results of a year, it's it's hard. You you want to let it affect you, but you don't want to let it affect you too much. If 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 it's just like a random injury and he's not going to get injured again, the skill set's still there. But we also have a new offense in Carolina, and there's a lot of new things going on. So, yeah. Um, all right, who would be your number two then? So two for me, two. I think you get a lot of different answers, but for me right now, it would be Austin Eckler. Um, hmm. We talk about a two-way back in a in a strong offense. He was 21 points per game this past year. We've seen him um, restart to receive the goal line work. Um, I think we all like Justin Herbert. Um, I think that the coaching staff kind of gets it there. Uh, I think that offense is going to you know continue to stay strong. Eckler kind of seems like a safe pick at two, um, and it just could absolutely change by the end of the summer. But right he's probably my favorite running back behind Taylor right now. Huh? Okay. Interesting. And I, um, I had Eckler knocked a little bit down my list mainly because of similar things to McCaffrey with history of injuries. And he's getting a little older. Um, I think I also really like a lot of backs at near like the, from the back half of the first and the first half of the second. So I think if I'm at two, I'm probably going uh, either Cooper cup or Tyreek or Kelsey. Those are actually my my next few players. So I had Cup at two just because uh, what he did this year. Um, obviously, that's super high for him, but that's where I'm at right now. Well, I have Cup at three, so we're kind okay, of in, cool. in line there. I think Cup is it's a he's going to go right around there. Um, I've seen some NFFC people, which is a three wide receiver in a flex uh, format. I could see him going one in some of mm-hmm. those drafts. So he's just a no the role is so locked in, right? Triple crown. And he yeah. won, you know, he won leagues this past year and he's just locked in with Stafford. And I think that, you know, his, it's it's an unstoppable connection with him and Stafford right now. And he's always been great. I mean, he, he was great as a rookie. It's just that I think the quarterback made all the difference. I mean, I think he was open a ton with golf and golf just didn't throw it to him. I think he would go to his first read, which was often woods. And then that was that, you know, 
So, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think he's a great pick anywhere in that top few, even though it, it's hard for me to take a, a non-physically, like, he, he seems like a slot guy, right? It's not like that huge outside receiver that's going to get, you know, all these touchdowns, but he does it. I mean, he gets the touchdowns, and, he, yeah, he's a great pick. Who would be your third? Oh, no, third he's your third. third. Oh, he's third is Cup. Yeah, so my third is Kelsey on this list. I, I think, like you said, Kelsey might fall to the second half. For me, maybe because I just saw that playoff game uh, and what he did in that game, maybe it's fresh in my mind. I, I don't think he's really slowed down um, physically. I you know I watch every Chiefs game, of course. I, I think he looks about the same as he always has. I think the offense is about the same. Mahomes is doing great. So I think he's a very safe uh, pick at three. And this is for FFPC, of course, tight end premium. Yeah. No, I, I love Kelsey. I have him a little lower than you. Um, my My fourth is actually Justin Jefferson. Okay. Which I'm, I think I'm ahead of, ahead of most people on Jefferson. He was 19.8 points per game this year. He was, he was right about a 20. Um, I have a feeling that the Minnesota offense is going to kind of shift towards more Jefferson. Um, I'm a little, I'm a little hesitant about Dalvin Dalvin Cook right now with the coaching change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we all saw Dalvin Cook have the the monster 200 plus yard game. I think that's fresh on players' minds. Um, you know, towards the tail end of the season. Um, they didn't but, play defense, though. <laughs> no, they, they didn't play very good defense right in, Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh that night. But oh my uh, goodness, I could see Jefferson just having an absolute smash season. Um, four seems a little high for him, but I do think that he's going to end up somewhere around eight, seven or eight um, when it all comes down to it. He's just such a great player. We talk about the third year, um, you know, guys getting even better in their third year. But he was right there at 20 points per game. At, at, you've seen him finish, you know, in the top six two years in a row. Yeah. Um, so it's, there's a lot to like about Jefferson for me. And oh, I, um, I love him. Yeah. I want to take young guys um, whenever yep. possible. And I want to see, you know, take them before they have that monster season. Yeah. I think we're, we're very similar. I, cause I was flirting with Jefferson at three or four. And the only reason I bumped him down a bit and, and he's like, he, he'll, he'll be soon for me, but I jumped, bumped him down just because of the quarterback situation. I'm questioning whether it's going to be cousins uh, if it's not, if he moves on, I think he's a free agent. I, I haven't double checked that, but they'll probably resign him. But if not, is he going to end up with that? What Kellen Mond or you know another free agent? And it just made me a little nervous. So yeah, I mean, obviously these these things can change with the quarterback situations. There's a co- couple guys on my list that are, you know, could change around with these these QB situations. Um, but. Jefferson, I think even if you get a QB change, he's he's almost quarterback proof. Oh yeah, and um, he's, he's he's been dominant. And if yeah. he does that with Cousins, he'll probably be great with anybody. So I love him. Yeah. yeah. My fourth is Tyreek, and it's same kind of reason as what I said about Kelsey. Hey, obviously, if it was Dynasty, I'd have Jefferson above Tyreek. But for this season, uh, I think he's still at the top of his game. I think he's still gonna he's he's in one of the best offenses, and he's still got all the speed and, and the quickness. So I like Tyreek at four. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, I have Tyreek um, a little bit lower than that, but he's you can make a case for him pretty much anywhere after after two. You know, the guy's right. he's fantastic. He's still a weak winner. Um, and that offense kind of left points on, 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 on off the board, I think, this year. Right. I think that the Chiefs offense could be better this year. Yeah, and that's why I think that they will get pushed down a bit, and I think that there'll be values in the first round, those two, because they did not figure out how to play offense against the cover two shawl they were seeing until about week 15. 
uh, they finally started to roll, and you now you see it in the playoffs. And of course, they can get stopped any certain week, but I think they will. They'll know how to play it. They'll know how to approach it, and they'll they'll produce through it. So I think that's a good for for me. Uh, wait, are you have you done five yet? No, five. Okay, who's five, your five? Um, so five for me. I have some reservations. Obviously, it's going to be a quarterback change, but I saw enough out of Najee Harris um, that I would have him at five. Um, I think that the team will be kind of built around him. Um, I think Tomlin loves him, um, and I think that he's going to get uh, as many touches as he can handle. Um, he's a big back that can catch the ball, and um, you know I feel confident that there's a chance that the Pittsburgh offense could get better. I think people think that it's – Big Ben's gone, and that's somehow like, you know, something that's going to push the offense back. I mean, I think Big Ben was pretty bad. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at, t- at times he was horrible. So I think that Najee is a again. He's kind of like Eckler. It's not that exciting. It's more of a safe pick here at five. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah. I have Najee at five. Yeah, I like that pick. Um, he's he's coming up for me. I think you're right that he is going to be the corner. You know, the center piece of the offense and. I get tons of touches. The only reason I probably didn't have him that high was the question mark, right, of the quarterback. But you're right. It can't get much worse. I mean, if you put, like, um, a turnover machine in there, maybe it would be a little worse. Ben at least protected the ball. But there wasn't. it wasn't like the secondary was threatened by the deep ball, that's for sure. My five was actually Justin Jefferson, so I was only a little bit behind you on him. Um, I also love youth at receiver. I love to, um, even in redraft, just load up there because it's safe. These guys generally don't get hurt and – they get lots of volume if they're that good. So who would be your sixth? So six, I actually had Jamar Chase. Um, okay. I think that there's a, there's again, Jamar Chase versus Tyree kill is, is a tough one. Travis Kelsey, I considered here as well. Um, but yeah, you haven't Jamar had Kelsey Chase's, yet. Have you? I haven't had, I haven't had Kelsey yet. Um, but Chase was 18.8 points per game as a rookie. Um, you know, we've all seen his ceiling, um, and he, I think he's an unbelievable talent. And I think that tr- us trying to project his tra- trajectory, I think in the range of outcomes, it's him being wide receiver one overall for multiple oh, yeah. seasons. So I, I, I want to try to have as much chase as possible. And I think it's the kind of guy that, um, you know, he might end up being like, a you might, he's the kind of guy you might think you could, you could wait on a little bit, but I think that if you want him, you're going to, you're going to have to reach for him. Um, because somebody yeah. in your league's gonna like him more than he is at ADP. I think he'll be gone first round almost every single draft. I agree, and s- same with Jefferson. Really, I think all these guys we've had so far um, are definitely going in the first round. When we get near the bottom. It's yeah, more of a question mark. Yeah, my six is uh, McCaffrey, um, and same kind of reason you said Najee. I mean, obviously McCaffrey struggled with injury, and he's been he's older. But uh, as far as them, I think that regardless of who the quarterback ends up being, they're gonna he's gonna be the centerpiece of the offense. Now, he could get traded. There's been rumblings about that. But honestly, if he gets traded, that's an upgrade. Uh, I think he's going to be the centerpiece wherever he goes. Um, so just because the receiving PPR league, I like him there at six. Yeah, I like that as well. I mean, I have him in my in my top 12. Um, I think that there's going to be some people – I said he's a, he's a litmus test for people where you'll either see him as a extreme value of a guy who's averaged like 30 points a game or he's a guy that some players are going to completely uh, – you know, avoid because he's kind of burned them the last two seasons. So right. CMC is he's he's interesting, but he's definitely got to be in the top twelve. But I have him just a little bit lower than you. Yeah, um, that's good. That's, seventh, that's what's fun about this. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's awesome to do this so early. My seventh is Kelsey. Um, okay. 
so he's still my tight end one. My my reservation is I don't like seeing um, the points per game go down as much as they did with him. He mm-hmm. went from in a traditional PPR setting, he went from twenty point nine points per game to sixteen point six points per game. So I have a the offense took a step back, right? Um, but and I think that that could be corrected. Um, but he doesn't give you as big of a positional advantage as you thought you would this year. He actually mm-hmm. helped you avoid landmines if you took him right. this year. But um, he was steady. Me, he'd be, yeah, he's and and you know he's he's Kelsey. He's he's a fantastic player. He's not going to hurt you. But I think for me, um, you know, he's definitely not a guy I would take him at that top three. But I think right here around you know seven, eight, nine, yeah. I think he becomes a great value. That makes sense. And for me, seven is Chase. So we were right in line with uh, pretty much Chase and Jefferson. Uh, we had very close to each other. I guess so far, you haven't had McCaffrey and you haven't had Tyreek. And I, don't, I can't remember who I'm missing from your list so far. Um, but N- oh, Najee, uh, Najee, Najee, yep. Najee and Eckler. Yep. And those guys so, are coming up. Interesting. So my, my backs are a little lower than yours. And, and um, I, I went a little earlier on some of the older guys. There you go. I, my, next, my next player is, is Christian McCaffrey. Okay. So it's, you know, he's, he's right there. He's right there at eight for me. Um, great. You know, I think that that's it, kind of the risk is baked in when you get him here at eight. Yeah, that's great. And my eight is Henry. So I jumped over to another old guy. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm my risk tolerance for older guys is a teeny bit higher. Um, but then, you know, I, I just think Henry is such a, he had the foot thing, so there's question marks. But if you get him in the back half of the first, I just feel like the volume is going to pay you off there, um, even even if he does struggle a little bit with injury. As long as he gets more games in, he gets 12-plus games, I think it's going to pay off with the touchdowns. And he, he certainly, at least this year, remained their centerpiece, even to their detriment in the playoffs. I mean, it hurt them that they depended on him so much and, and didn't just keep rolling with what they were doing, I think. But I think that that's just what they want to do. They want to be a heavy run team. So I landed there. Yeah, I mean he's a, he's a stud. Um, it's kind of the the, the tread on the tires mm-hmm. um, is something that would would concern me, um, which is why I have him just slightly lower than you do. Cool. Who's your ninth? Ninth is Tyreek. Um, okay, Tyreek Hill. So we're, we're right there. He's he's a stud. Um, I'd love to have him on a lot of teams next year. Um, I just I, I feel like him and Kelsey kind of. Uh, offset each other slightly so they, mm-hmm. they both got pushed down a little bit for me um but right here if you get them in the towards the end of the first round um even if the offense is exactly the same it's still going to pay off yeah it's interesting i mean i think for listeners i think they should remember that i'm a chiefs fan so i'm a little higher on those guys because uh, i'm a fan um i do think that they're going to improve but that could be rose-colored glasses too um i think they, they're going to return to what they were doing before but i think what where you have them is more in line with uh what we're going to see across the industry so if you want them, I think if you if you have a top six pick, they're yours. Uh, and well, Kelsey might go four or five in a lot of drafts, but um, yeah, I'm in one yeah. one best ball. I'm in now with a lot of very good players. He still went third um, to okay. a, to a, ter- a terrific player drafted him at third. So um, I think there's still going to be Kelsey people trying to get him early in FPC. Cool. So I think are you up now with ten? Yeah, oh, no, I'm 10. Up. Oh no, you got to go. Uh, who did I'm nine? Yeah, yeah. I, I have Eckler at nine. So okay. Eckler, you had two, so big jump down. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I probably have a little bit of a bias against Eckler um, that isn't fair. Um, he, he hasn't been hurt that much, but that sticks in my head. 
I think you're right about the Chargers. I think they have a great, great coach and a good, awesome offense. Love the quarterback. So I'll probably move him up as we go along. He probably deserves to be higher. Yeah, and I think that it's it's kind of speaks to how two through two through twelve is is kind of flat right now. If mm-hmm. flatter than it is some years, um, right? That we that we would have him that big of a gap. But yeah, I, I love him. Um, and then my tenth would be Derrick Henry. So I think okay. That, Pretty the, close. The, the risk is baked in for me um, down at 10. I mean, he was 24 points a game this year. So mm-hmm. um, a lot to like about King Henry. Cool. Yeah. And then my 10th is Najee. Um, I, I think, again, this is probably a guy that I should have a little higher and I'll probably push up as we go along. I, I have, I think, like I said, it was mainly just the Steelers question marks, the, the, um, the, the quarterback, but yeah, he'll be the centerpiece. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's. You can make a case for him moving up and down. Where where'd um, you have Najee? Was it five? I had him at five, so I'm five, a little okay. more bullish on on him than you are. Five but and ten, still, but that's not that crazy of a gap. Yeah. Uh, and then for me, eleventh, um, I actually have Joe Mixon. Okay. Um, I'm very bullish on the Cincinnati offense. Um, I think Mixon could go a little lower, but I think at the end of the day, he's going to settle right around the the one two turn. Um, you know, I think it's that offense is is trending up. We've seen them have great success, um, you know, in the playoffs, and I'm I'm bullish on Mixon. I loved him as a second rounder last year, so I'm I'm willing to yep. take him a little higher. Yep, me too. To all of what you just said, and he's my twelfth, so we're one okay. away for on Mixon. Yep, my eleventh is Andrews. Um, I feel like uh, tight end premium. He's going to be clear cut number two, maybe number one, like he was this year. Um, it could backfire, but you know, a couple of years ago he was going in the second round and then he fell off the map and went down to what fourth and fifth this year. Sometimes I think he probably always belonged in the second. Uh, I just thought late first in, in a tight end premium. I didn't love any of the guys that are right there. I, I don't know. I, this will probably change, but I, I like him there. Yeah. I, I think that I, I have him slightly lower. He was just missed out, but he's one of the guys I had like, you know, if we kept this going, he'd be like 15th. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I think the only concern I would have is Bateman um, right. and also the return of J.K. Dobbins. You could see it be a mm-hmm. little more balanced in Baltimore. Very good. But Very Andrews true. is a stud. He's a stud. Yeah. Um, my 12th is – it makes me sick not having Devontae Adams in the top 12, but I think that there are concerns about where Devontae is going to play next year, um, where Aaron Rodgers is playing if Aaron Rodgers is retiring. So I had to bump Devontae out of the top 12, but – Again, I'll, I'll put an asterisk there. Um, he could easily rise up. Um, so my 12th is Javante Williams. Okay. Um, I'm extremely bullish on him. I, I think Melvin Gordon's going to move on. Um, he looks like a stud two-way running back. You could make a case for if, if Melvin Gordon's out of the way and the quarterback situation's okay, you can make a case for Javante going higher than this. But I think he's a first-round pick next year, and I, I put him in at 12th. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, so for my just looking at my next few that just missed out, Devontae was 13, and then I had Debo, and I had Kamara and Cook, and then Javante and Swift. So those were, those were the guys that I was like really on the edge, like putting them in, keeping them out. Uh, who else did you have almost make it there? My, my next four um, in, in no order would be Devontae Adams, um, who is, you know, he could shoot way up if him, he stay still with Rodgers and Green Bay next year. I think you'd have to put him up with, you know, the, the Tyreeks and the Chases. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Mark Andrews, we, we just talked about him. And then Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook. Um, you know, Kamara, we have a coaching change. That scares me a little bit. We don't know who mm-hmm. the quarterback's going to be. 
Um, and then Dalvin Cook, um, he had a uh, his his points per game went down this year, and now we have a coaching change in Minnesota. So I have some reservations about him right now. Um, I think at the end of the day he'll still be a first rounder, um, but I last year I was taking him second overall, and now I, I don't think I would take him in the top ten. So it's just... it, it is fascinating that we neither of us had Kamara and Cook in the top twelve. I mean, I I thought that you would have them both in there and I would be the weird one. We both agree. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, age decline, right? QB questions, coach questions. Yeah. They just, they're both going like... to be 27 too. So it's, right. um, you know, like it happens. I'd rather Javante. I'd rather, I'd rather Swift. I mean, at this particular point, um, that's a big, that's risky, but he looked great when he got the opportunity. Yeah. So very interesting. Thanks for going through that, man. I'm going to try to go back through and write down your list and compare it with mine and see what I can learn. And uh, that was a fun exercise. Hopefully our listeners enjoyed that too. It was uh, awesome having you on. I appreciate you um, taking the time. And before I get us out of here, can you tell your tell our listeners like where they can find you or your work? Or, yeah, so uh, you, can, you, you can find you can find my uh, my articles on Player Profiler. Um, and I'm on the Goat District podcast. Um, we're on every single Tuesday night. Um, and then we sometimes have a second show, um, but it's a it's a very fun podcast. We have a lot of uh, high stakes players on, and a lot of analysts on as well. Um, so you can look for me on the Goat District and uh, Player Profiler, and then you can find me on Twitter at the OG Fantasy. Awesome, yeah, it's a great podcast. I enjoy listening to it. So we we really appreciate you coming on. And before we wrap up, just wanted to ask you to do a quick uh, few things for the podcast. Please consider supporting the pod so we can keep bringing great guests on like Theo uh, and doing it all ad free. You can do that at anchor. Uh, you can do it for any amount. Please subscribe to the pod if you haven't, and please leave us a rating and review if you haven't done that as well. Thank you so much for listening. And for Theo Griminger, I'm Kevin Scott. We'll see you next time.